Hello. Oh, there we are. Good morning. Good morning, Ryan. Good morning. All right. Some of you guys are awake, specifically in this region back here. I'm not, not saying anybody's name or anything. But uh, good morning, guys. Great to be with you again. And uh, we give it up for our worship team. It's great to have Pastor Gabe back, back up leading worship this morning. And uh, this morning we wanted to continue in the series that the promise still stands. And uh, specifically, I wanted us to to look at how the promise of God still stands through anxiety in our lives. Um, we've spoken about this a lot in the past, um, but I believe it's something the Lord just uh, put on my heart that we needed to talk through because it, it somehow keeps coming up, I think, in our lives, and, and so we really need to deal with it. Now, before we go deeper into the anxiety, I think that something that's important for us to understand is that as Christians... We have more enemies than non-believers have, uh, and, and we, we've got to realize that. See, before you were a Christian, your only real enemy was God, and God is a really loving enemy. Uh, and he's, a, you know, he's a loving adversary. Let's look at Romans 8, 7, and it makes it, uh, makes it pretty clear. It says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And this is just showing that there's enmity between uh, you and I and God before we come into a relationship with him. Uh, and I don't know how many of you guys have ever... How many of you guys are pet people? You have a dog or something? All right, dogs. How many of you like cats? All right, fewer cats. Last service, there was like no cats. Uh, <laughs> I, I grew up and we had a cat in our house and I was allergic to that cat named Cuddles, and uh, I got to tell you guys, Cuddles was a vicious, vicious animal, all right? This cat was a cat, we used to go camping up in the Adirondack Mountains all the time, and we found Cuddles in the Adirondack Mountains, literally like in a cliff and a hole, this mother had all these little baby cats, and we took Cuddles, and uh, like I said, Cuddles was this vicious cat, because anytime you would try to go into pet Cuddles, if you looked like you weren't certain about petting cuddles, she would come after you. She would come after your hand. She would bite you, claw at you. Uh, so anytime you go in, you had to be confident in the way you pet her. You know, come in, oh, with authority. I'm going to pet my cat. Uh, but, but the worst time I ever had with cuddles is when cuddles got fleas. You see, when the cats get fleas, you have to give them, like, this special shampoo, and you've got to take them in the bath. And you know cats love water so much, right? And so here we are. It's like a family affair. Our entire family is like four of us. And each one of us are trying to grab one of the limbs of this cat that is like kicking, clawing, scream, you know, biting. And uh, eventually, you know, we all got cut up. And it was a, it was a terrible time, terrible memory. But uh, I think that this represents a lot of our relationship with God before we're Christians. You see, we're constantly clawing, kicking at God, and, and he's constantly wanting to pursue us. He's constantly trying to love us because he's a God that, that has our best, and he constantly holds us in his hands. Uh, now, as soon as you and I start and initiate a relationship with God, all of his enemies declare war on you and I. Uh, and his enemies are not as nice, you know. And they're, they're the world, the flesh, and the devil. And, and what they're constantly trying to make us believe is that God is not sovereign in our lives, that God's not in control. 
Uh, and so I think this is a big area where anxiety and fear starts to creep into our lives because the enemy attacks us and we start to question, is God really there? Is God really uh, holding us? And, and I want to speak directly to this right now in John 10, uh, verses 28 and 29. Uh, this is what Jesus uh, says. He says, no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Amen? All right. See, we have a Father who constantly holds us in His hands. No matter what we're facing, no matter what anxiety and fear you know, starts to come up and bubble up in our lives, uh, I want to let you know that, that we have a God that's in control. But when we address the enemy in our lives, it's important that you and I have a strategy in the way that we deal with anxiety and fear when the enemy comes and attacks. And so this morning, I wanted us to uh, to look at the text, and you guys have a bulletin with you this morning, and it is, uh, it's Psalm 27, and I'm actually going to ask uh, for you not to read along because it's the same uh, chapter Psalms, but you guys have a different translation that you're looking at. So I'm just going to read to you this morning and you guys can uh, try to follow along with the bulletin. All right. Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, It is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, to inquire in his temple, for he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above all enemies around me, and I will offer in his tent the sacrifices and, and shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have... Uh, All you have been my help. Cast me not off. Forsake me not. O God of my salvation, for my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path. Because of my enemies, give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen up against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. And let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Let me pray for us this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you that even though this text is over 3,000 years old, it still speaks truth to us. And just as uh, earlier parts of David's life have been able to speak to us about how we can overcome the storms and the trials that we face, uh, that David addresses this, that he addresses how we can overcome anxiety and fear. And so, uh, Father, breathe fresh on your word for us this morning. We pray and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, what I think is really amazing here is that David, uh, like I said, is giving a strategy for you and I how we can deal with anxiety and fear in our lives. 
And listening, you know, to this passage, you might think that uh, David lives in New York or something like that, because there's constantly an air of anxiety and fear and panic in New York. You know, every time I go to the grocery store right here, stop and shop, it seems like I get like one of those little baskets, because I'm normally just getting a few things, and you immediately look up, you're like, all right, which aisle is the shortest one? And you start going over, and I feel like almost all the time, there's somebody with a massive cart full of groceries, and they're trying to jockey you to get in front of you. All of a sudden, you look up, and you're like, oh, my goodness. You know, but everybody is just so stressed. They're, they're anxiety-ridden. Uh, and I don't know if you guys have ever, our culture tries to answer anxiety and fear. And I don't know if you guys have ever seen any of these books. There's a lot of self-help books. There's a lot of websites that you see, see that deal with anxiety and fear. And I was looking at a few of them the last week or two. And it was honestly kind of comical because what they say are things like, you know, if you don't want anxiety in your life, what you should do is drink less coffee, you know? You need to have a balanced diet, and then you're not going to have anxiety or worry in your life. You know, make sure you exercise daily. This is the answer to being free from anxiety and fear. And I got to tell you guys the truth is so much of our culture and society is telling us to do is to deal with the symptoms. They're telling us to put a Band-Aid on a bleeding wound. And uh, that's why I appreciate David is because uh, Pastor Gabe was talking about this last week. We always see King David, and he's always, you know, going head first into the enemy. He's always dealing with the enemy. Now, I also wanted to share anxieties and fears are real things that we deal with. We can't just pretend that they're not real. Um, just to be super vulnerable with you all, yesterday was a scary day for my family. Uh, my wife and my wife, Kara, and my two kids, Shane and Kyla, uh, they were driving in our minivan right over here. And uh, my wife parked at the Sunoco station and she wanted to clean out and vacuum out the car. So she's cleaning out, vacuuming the car. And as she starts to do so, uh, she notices this guy who has a cup of coffee and he's just sitting on a curb staring at my wife and kids. Now, this goes on for over a half hour. And he's just staring and looking at my wife and kids. And uh, my wife didn't want to, you know, say anything to the kids or draw too much attention to it. So she, after she's done, she gets the kids and herself in the car. And then she starts driving away. What she notices as she's driving away is this guy gets in his car and starts following her. So thankfully, my wife is really smart. And uh, she decides, I'm not going to drive home because I don't want this crazy guy to see where... I live, you know, who knows what's going to happen. So she keeps driving, and turns out she drives all the way to Havistraw, and this guy is still following her. Uh, she winds up calling uh, the police, calls 911, and, you know, gives the tags of the car and information. Uh, and it seemed that this guy started to realize what was going on, that he saw her with a phone, because he finally, uh, you know, veered off and turned away. But when my wife came home, she told me this story. You know, it was like unbelief. I, my first thought was, I want to go find this guy and beat the crap out of him, you know? Like, where is this guy, this clown? Who does he think he is? Uh, <laughs> but, but we have got to be honest in dealing with anxiety and fear in our lives. We cannot pretend it doesn't exist because it, it is a reality, you know? I, I can't, you know, with my wife and my family, uh, my kids, I can't think, oh, man, I, if I ran maybe some more or I dieted a little more, then maybe I really wouldn't have any fear about what's going to happen to my kids. You know, it's stuff we, we have to identify, we have to address, and we have to face it. Uh, and that's why I really appreciate what King David does. And uh, I want us to look quickly at 
uh, just a couple of verses in the text. Now, in Psalm 27, verse 10, we see David saying, For my father and my mother have forsaken me. Now, what's interesting about this is that we don't see this in the rest of the Bible. There's no clear indication that David's father and mother have forsaken him. Uh, We don't have any indication that they've abandoned him at all in any way. Uh, And then Psalm 27, verse 3 says, Though an army encamps against me. Now, what's interesting about this is that uh, a lot of the commentaries, they've actually argued and said, He's not actually even talking about a literal army that's around him, you know, in this present moment. And what I believe is going on here is that David is actually imagining the worst things that can happen to him, uh, that he's looking and thinking of the worst case scenario. And there's a couple of reasons why he does that. One is he's a leader, you know, he's leading the Israelites, he's leading all these people. So he's got to think through everything that's going to happen to him. He's got to think through everything that's going to happen to his people, uh, But then going a step farther than that, David is somebody that wants, he's trying to search for a strategy to deal with anxiety and fear. And I'm going to continue to read verse 3. It says, Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. I will be confident. You know what he's saying here? He's saying that I have so much freedom from fear and anxiety that even if an army came, I'd be okay. You know, I'd be okay even if an army came because I have so much freedom from fear and anxiety. And he gives us his strategy in verse 4. And so I want us to, to look at verse 4 together. Uh, and his strategy that he gives us is that he tells us the way that we handle anxiety, the way we handle fear, is by dwelling in the presence of God. That we need to dwell in God's presence And then he says, in order to dwell in God's presence, it takes two things. We've got to be able to gaze on the beauty of God. And then the second is we've got to be able to seek after him and seek what he's calling you and I to do and to be and to be obedient to what he's calling us to. So let's first look at this idea uh, at dwelling. And what David, David says, the one thing I have asked of the Lord that I might dwell in the house of the Lord. Now, what does this mean? We know that David isn't actually talking about dwelling in the actual temple. Yeah, it's the Old Testament, uh, but we know only Levites, you know, only the priests could actually be in the temple. And then on top of that, uh, we know that they could, you know, they could only go into the Holy of Holies on, on special, at special occasions, special times. But what David is actually asking here, he's asking that He's asking to experience God's unbroken presence in his life. He's asking that he'd be able to experience the manifest presence of God in his life on a continual basis. So let's just look at the difference here. If you have been to our church for even a short amount of time, uh, you know about the manifest presence of God because we talk about it a lot. Uh, but I want to look at A.W. Tozer. He's an old-time Alliance uh, writer and author. And this is how he distinguishes the difference between uh, the manifest presence of God and the omnipresence of God. He says, The presence and the manifestation of the presence are not the same. There can be the one without the other. God is here when we are wholly unaware of it. Now, this is God's omnipresence. Uh, God is able to be within all of his creation simultaneously. He can be everywhere at once. And this is God's uh, omnipresence that Tozer is saying. But then he continues to talk about uh, God's manifest presence. And this is what he says. 
He is manifest only when and as we are aware of his presence. On our part, there must be a surrender to the Spirit of God, for his work is to show us the Father and the Son. If we cooperate with him in loving obedience, God will manifest himself to us. And that manifestation will be the difference between a nominal Christian life and a life radiant with the light of his face. Amen? You see, in the manifest presence, everything changes. That's where transformation takes place. That's where we see blind eyes seeing. That's where we hear, you know, deaf ears hear. It's where we see healing. We see deliverance take place, salvation. The captives are set free. Uh, it ch- changes everything when we're in the manifest presence of God. Uh, and, and there's this, you know, really simple, simple analogy, you know. You come in this morning or you come here on a different day and you see either Pastor Gabe leading worship or uh, you see Pastor Mike preaching, and you can say, oh, yeah, I went to church and I was in their presence. But, but you can't say that you actually know them. You can't say you had an actual personal relationship, that you actually talked to them face-to-face and that you knew them deeply. See, this is the kind of presence that David is talking about. He's saying, I want to know God face-to-face. I want to know him so much, and I want him to be in every area of my life. Some of you may have heard of Brother Lawrence. I don't know if you've heard of him before. Uh, and there's a book called The Practice of the Presence of God. It's a really good book. I recommend reading it if you get a chance. Uh, and Brother Lawrence uh, serves at a monastery, and he's a layman, and it's the 1600s in Paris. And so that's when this writing is coming from. And uh, he's kind of the lowest of the low. He's the guy that mops the floors. Uh, he's the guy that you know feeds people in the monastery. And this is what he says. He says that we should establish ourselves in a sense of God's presence by continually conversing with him, that it was a shameful thing to quit his conversation, to think of trifles and fooleries. Now, now what he's saying here is he's saying that even he, he wants to remain in God's presence, but we can do that not just on Sunday mornings, not just during worship, not just when uh, someone is preaching, but that we can remain in God's manifest presence in every area of my life. And what you wind up seeing is you see Brother Lawrence trying to do that. He's trying to uh, establish God's presence and stay with his presence in every area of his life. And, and this is really what, what David is saying. David's saying, I don't want to know God distantly. I don't want to know God in general, but I want to know God face to face. I want to dwell in his tabernacle. I want to dwell in his presence for all the days of my life. And, uh, what he's saying is he's saying this is the way that you overcome fear and anxiety. David's saying that feel, fears are directly proportional to the vulnerability of the things that, that are our greatest joys. So if the one thing that is your greatest joy is God, then you will be able to live without fear and anxiety because we know that God remains, that God's the one thing that can hold us in his hands that won't change and that we will continue to be safe. Going further, uh, it's really great looking at verse 5. David says, I will be safe in your dwelling place. And what he's saying here is he's saying, I will be safe in your presence, God. Only when you are the one thing in my life will I be safe. And this is where we wrestle a lot, is we've got to understand that in order to dwell in God's presence and to continually live in his manifest presence, that he's got to be the one thing in our lives. See, we, there's a lot of good things that God gives us. You know, we have, some of us have really great careers. We have great jobs. Uh, you know, we long to go on great vacations. Uh, 
But if any of those good things become one things in your life, I got to tell you that that is where debilitating anxiety and fear enters into our lives because God is the one thing that remains and doesn't, and doesn't change. But everything else, I don't care if it's a job, it's a spouse, it's your children, you know, we cannot control all the circumstances of life and what's going on. And I'll tell you what, it'll be a constant struggle if we do. Um, some of you know I've been going to seminary full-time, and I only have one semester left. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. That's right. Uh, <laughs> but uh, last summer, uh, I was going to seminary, and I was taking this class called Soul Care, and it was with Dr. Rob Reamer, who was the professor. And uh, I'd been going through a time where this idea of, you know, good things becoming one things... I have this son, Shane, and I know I've talked to you about him before, but Shane is this really sweet boy, uh, and I'm one of those overprotective dads of Shane uh, because he's really sweet, and like even just the other day, he's telling me he's going to school, and some kid's taking his fruit snacks at lunch, you know, kids are taking his food, and he's just such a sweet kid. He's like, oh, I just, they can take it. I want to be home. I'm like, no, 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 you can't allow that to happen. Like, what's going on, bud? Uh, but anyway, what wound up happening is because of this, uh, Shane really started to become a one thing in my life because I, I at night I started praying for him, and every night it was like, God, protect Shane. God, keep Shane safe. Please, you know, I don't want him to have any pain. I don't want him to experience any hurt. Uh, and it was amazing because I prayed a prayer like that, and the next morning I go to this class, and I'm sitting in the class, and the professor goes, you know, Rob Rimmer goes, some of you are praying prayers of protection over your kids. Stop it. Stop it right now. And it was like one of those moments where you're like, oh, boy, that's me, you know, and someone's reading your mail, and you're like, oh, yeah, that's me. And, and then I really realized it was me when he goes, and Ryan, and this is in front of like 40 or 50 people in the class, and I was like, oh, okay. He's like, and Ryan, that's your own fear and anxiety that's manifesting. You know, you're trying to control your son. You're trying to protect him. And it's good for us to be responsible for our children. It's good to take care of our children. But I got to tell you, we cannot control everything that happens with our kids. We cannot control what happens to all the different relationships that we face in our lives. And we have got to make sure that those things do not creep into our lives and become one things because then anxiety can have a, a terrible hold on our lives. Make sense? You guys tracking with me this morning? All right. Good to hear you're awake. All right. Uh, moving on, I want us to, to talk a little bit of, again about verse 10 and about anxiety and unforgiveness. Uh, verse 10 says, For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Now, I said before that David may have been imagining or he meant thinking of the worst case scenario. Now, whether this was true or not to David, this is true to a lot of you sitting in this room today. There's a lot of you that have dealt with difficulties uh, with not receiving the love and affection that you should have received from your parents. Uh, some of you, it's, it's not just your parents. Maybe it's a spouse. You know, maybe it's a, another relationship. Uh, and you've been continually trying and longing for this intimacy. Um, and I want to tell you guys that there's a lot of unforgiveness there. That it has created walls in our life. And if we don't remove the walls by taking an act of obedience and forgiving a person that's held us, that I believe that this is a stronghold of anxiety that can grab a hold of our lives. Uh, 
we need to understand that forgiveness is something that, you know, so often we think forgiveness and we say, oh, forgiveness is, you know, saying what another person did was okay. Wrong. That's not true, you know. Uh, forgiveness is, like I said, it's when we take an active uh, step of obedience and saying, listen, I'm no longer going to hold this person to what they did to me. It's not saying I forget what they've done. It's not saying it's okay what they've done. It's you making a decision, you taking a choice and saying, listen, I'm going to forgive this person for what they did to me. I'm not going to hold on to it anymore. And I got to tell you guys, scripture is really clear that if we don't forgive others, then we're not going to be able to be forgiven from the Lord. And I want to tell you, if we are filled with anxiety and fear, then there's no way for you and I to be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's not enough room for the Holy Spirit to to fill us up in our lives. And so David is telling us that the answer for fear and anxiety is for us to learn how to dwell in the presence of God. Now, how do we dwell in the presence of God? Well, there's two ways that we were able to uh, dwell in the presence of God. And David separates these two. I think we keep them together. But the first one is gazing that we learn how to gaze upon the beauty of our Lord. And this is our experience with God. This is uh, communion with God that we have. And when we gaze, it means to, to keep our focus, to look steady on something. Uh, Paul says in Ephesians that with the eyes of your heart, you stretch out to God. And, and so what's going on is you're giving God all of your attention and you're learning how to dwell in his presence, and you're gazing on his beauty. And what's amazing here is that David is able to do this, you know, before Jesus even came. So how much easier is it for us to be able to gaze onto God and his goodness because we have Jesus that we get to look at? And we were talking, we've been talking about that a lot this spring in Hebrews, that we fix our eyes on Jesus. Now, for me, for a long time growing up, I always thought, okay, I've got to make sure I read my Bible, and I've got to journal. I've got to do, like, the 30-day devotional. But, but I remember about 12, 15 years ago when I was at college, I remember hearing this professor say that what he started to do is he would just wake up in the morning and he would just gaze on the beauty of God and that he would just dwell in God's presence. And he said that doing that changed his life. And so I thought, well, it can't hurt. I'll give it a try. And I got to tell you, that was 12 or 15 years ago, and I still do that today. I did that this morning, that when I wake up in the morning, I try to just stay in God's presence, and it's focusing all of our attention on Him. Uh, and, and during that, we're able to experience uh, God's delight. You know, our faith grows. Uh, we get to see the face of God and learn new truths. And, and I don't want to spend too much time on this because a lot of you are really good at gazing already. You know, we gaze on uh, that vacation that's coming up that we've been long for for a long time. We gaze on potentially retirement. Oh, yeah, that can't wait for retirement to come, or whatever it is. We're really good at gazing, and it's when we continually focus on something in our mind, and we roll it over time and time again. And so gazing is when, you know, and where we experience God's presence in our walk. And then it goes, uh, David says, continuing in verse 4, the second way that we dwell in God's presence is that we seek, that through seeking, we're able to dwell in God's presence. And I want to be clear here, in Hebrews, it actually says that to seek is to get counsel. You see, we don't just want to experience God. We don't just want to uh, stay in God's presence and not be obedient to Him. Because when we do that, we wind up becoming spiritual gluttons, you know? It's just all about, like, give me more, give me more, God. 
And we don't want to just operate in just seeking God and being obedient to God without experiencing his presence. Because what winds up happening then is that we become like the Pharisees. We, can't, we become legalistic. We focus on the rules and what God wants to do, but our hearts don't actually get transformed. You see, it's, it's got to be both. It's got to be when we're seeking and when we're gazing in God's presence in order for you and I to be able to dwell in his presence, in order for you and I to get freedom from anxiety and fear in our lives. Thank you. Amen. A uh, great example of this is marriage. Uh, some of you might be married here today, and especially even before you get married, in the beginning, you know, they call it like the honeymoon years, and those are the times where, you know, you just can't stop looking in each other's eyes, you're gazing at each other, and, you know, it's like the rest of the world doesn't exist, you're constantly holding hands, and it's just like you're on a magical ride or something like that, <laughs> and these are the times where we're gazing, you know, with our, with our partner or with our spouse, um, but what's interesting is it never stays like that completely. And, and the reason for that is, you know, there's, there's work that needs to be done. There's jobs that have to be worked. There's uh, running errands. There's taking care of bills. You know, we, we have lives that we have to actually take care of. We can't just sit and look at each other all the time. But what's really interesting is the more that we continue to grow in our marriage, in order for you and I to have true intimacy, we've got to serve one another. All right? I got, and I got to tell you that that's probably one of the biggest things that we need to do in our marriages in order for them to work out. You know, if one person decides, I'm not going to ever serve the other person, you can say goodbye to intimacy because it's not going to happen. You know, it's not going to work that way. Uh, my wife, actually, she, uh, she's such a servant. She does all the dishes in our house. I'm talking about my wife a lot today. But she does lots of dishes. She cleans, vacuums, and... Uh, for me, I do the dishes once, and I'm like, hey, didn't I do a great job? Look, I did the dishes. She's like, I do that every day. So what? <laughs> but but we've got to, we have got to be able to, to serve each other, and this is the same with our relationship with God in order to have freedom from anxiety and fear. We've got to be able to dwell in his presence by gazing, but also we've got to be able to seek what he's calling us to do because he wants to use you and I to establish his kingdom. Uh, he wants his work to go forth, and he wants to use us uh, to, to manifest himself, to bring his manifest presence uh, to everyone that you come in contact with. Amen? All right. So I wanted to, uh, I wanted to look, you know, as we're getting close to the end uh, and talking about fear and anxiety, I wanted us to, to look specifically... Um, at an old-time missionary, because I love missionary stories. Uh, I love to, especially the old ones, there's something that it just uh, touches your heart when you read them and you get to learn about them. And uh, specifically, this guy, Alan Gardner, right here, he was uh, a missionary from England, so a British British lad, bloke, uh, and he was uh, serving in South America in the 1800s. And so what he would do is he would uh, try to set up churches, and then he would constantly take voyages on ships back to Britain so that he could raise money and support, get more people on board, and go back and build more churches uh, and share the gospel. Well, on one journey, it was 1851, uh, there he's you know going down to South America, and the ship completely hits a storm, totally breaks apart, and uh, all the men, including Alan, they wind, wind up on this island and they wind up having no food. They have no water. Uh, 
And what winds up happening is everybody starts dying, you know, just really terrible death because they're literally losing their lives because of starvation. And uh, this was what's written here on the screen that you're looking at. This is what was written in his journal on... uh, in his journal when they found him dead two years later when they came back to the island. And this is what he said. He said, The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Psalm 34.10. And then the last words that are penned in his journal is, I am overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness of God. I am overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness of God. What? Are you kidding me? That's crazy. You know, that does not make logical sense. Alan was a man, he was married, he had kids, and here he is, the end of his life, stranded on an island, everybody's died, he's the last one left, and this is what he's writing. The only way this makes sense is if God became the one thing in his life. You see, Alan was able to to dwell in the presence of God. He was able to to gaze upon the Lord's beauty. He was able to... uh, seek after what God had for him so that God was his one thing. And it didn't matter whether life nor death, you know, if he died, he got to be, you know, eternally in the manifest presence of God, and he is right now. Uh, But it didn't matter, life nor death. He found the manifest presence of God, and he was able to dwell in his presence so that he didn't have to have anxiety and fear in his life anymore. You know, uh, we've been talking about this over the last few weeks, uh, last couple of months, and uh, to be honest with you guys, this is uh, not just the solution or the strategy just to deal with anxiety and fear, but this is the way to deal, you know, with all the difficulties that you face, whether it's giants, whether it's disappointment, what, whatever trials you're facing, I want to tell you that dwelling in the manifest presence is the answer. Uh, seeking after God, gazing on his beauty, if we can do that and bring that to all the areas of our life, I want to tell you, you guys can live without anxiety and fear. Now, some of you are saying, that's great, Ryan, but uh, on Thursday, I got this thing that's coming up, and uh, <laughs> that doesn't help me out too much. But, but I got to tell you, it, it always takes one first step, you know? And, and some of you, maybe you've veered off a little bit, and I believe that God's calling you to say this morning and to de- declare, God, you are my one thing, you know? Uh, maybe you've made one thing, uh, maybe you've made children, or your spouse, or your job, or whatever it is. But this morning is the day where I want to stand with you, and I want us to declare that that God is our one thing this morning. So would you stand up with me? Now, the first thing is that I really feel heavy upon me that there's some of you that God wants to set free from anxiety and fear, and it's specifically tied to unforgiveness in your life. And while I've been talking about this, and when I was talking about unforgiveness, if there is anybody that came to your mind, I want to let you know that, that that's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. He's trying to, uh, to show you the areas, the people that you need to forgive. And so this morning, uh, would you take an act and a step of obedience, and would you say... Uh, you know, and just whisper it and just say, God, I forgive and fill in the blank. Would you do that right now? God, I forgive. You know, he says that if we are willing to forgive others, that he is faithful and just to forgive you and I. 
So, Lord, I pray even right now, Holy Spirit, would you come, and for those that took a step of obedience, ask for forgiveness. Father, would you come right now? Would you fill them up with your Holy Spirit? Would you fill them up to overflow right now? Come, Lord Jesus. There's others of you that I believe that God's saying, uh, maybe it's the first time in your life, uh, but that you feel the Holy Spirit tugging at your heart and saying that I've been longing for you to dwell in my presence for all your life. And, And to you, I would say, we have to declare that, God, you are my one thing. And for others, there have been ones that have gone off alignment. You know, they've gotten so focused on their work or their kids, or whatever it is. And the Lord is saying, come and dwell in my presence. I long to be with you, my children. So can we do that? Can we take that, that step together? I want, can you say, God, I declare you are my one thing. Would you say you are my one thing, God? Come on, you can do better than that. You are my one thing, God. All right, one more time. You are my one thing, God. Father, we declare this morning that your promise still stands. Uh, That no matter if it's anxiety, no matter if it's giants, uh, no matter if it's disappointment, whatever it is, Father, your promise still stands that you will remain faithful and that we will be able to remain in your hands no matter what trials come our way. And not only will we be able to get through them, but I sense, Lord, you want to make us dangerous. You want your kingdom to advance, and you want to make us dangerous in you. You see, because just like this missionary I was sharing about, when God becomes the one thing, there's nothing that can hold you back in your life. And when that happens, God God starts to use you in powerful ways His presence starts manifesting in your life. And not only does your life get changed, but the people around you, their lives start to get changed because the manifest presence was never just for you or I, but it was for all. Let's continue to declare that God is our one thing. Pastor Gabe's going to lead us in a song right now. Jesus, the name above. Jesus, the only one who could ever say, worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you. Open up my eyes. 
cry of our heart this morning. Lord, we trust in you this morning. We declare your promise still stands in each one of our lives and that there is nothing that can snatch us from the palm of your hands. You are good and you are faithful and you remain when everything else changes. So, Father, this morning we go out empowered by your Holy Spirit, not alone, but in the presence of our Father. We praise your name and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys for coming out. Uh, If there's anybody that you are wrestling with forgiveness or someone came up, I want to challenge you. There will be people in the front. Would you... uh, take another step of faith. Would you come forward and maybe pray with somebody this morning, allow someone to minister to you. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great 4th of July.